We are excited to introduce to you Prophetic Edge, where we are going to be digging into the revelation of God's Word and what it looks like to walk in victory through the Word of God. Whenever God is ready to move in Scripture and bring victory to people, He always brings a fresh edge of revelation. So as we continue this conversation about the beauty of the church, I'm loving this because it is the continuation of when we're talking about looking at or apprehending the apostolic, then we looked at the function of the apostle and prophet is to become foundation for the church. Jesus builds the church. Now let's talk about the church. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ with Jesus himself as the head. So that's important. The church is not an organization. So for all of those who are building better buildings, um, we're building greater assemblies, all of that's good. I'm not knocking any of that. Hear me, I'm not complaining or criticizing anything that's been done for God that has produced any fruit. As Paul said, even if they preach Christ of contention, at least they're preaching. So I am not going to criticize and belittle anybody. However, you thought you were serving God. The Lord bless you. But now we have to look at the biblical idea so that we can do it better. It is not an organization. The church is a living, breathing organism. It moves, it breathes, it grows, it changes, it learns. So if God classifies the church as his body and he says that the church is alive and he is the head. Okay. So let's talk about something. That means the body has to be in the same condition as the head. If the head is healthy and the body is sick, you need a doctor. If the body is healthy, but the head is ill, you need a doctor. So we have to understand that being a living body by simply saying that the body of Christ, a living body, we are alive. We are part of him. He is saying clearly you should be living at the same level as me. You should be operating with the same freedom as me. You should show or exhibit the same power as me. Why? Because you're my body. You're attached to me. You are what I am. You have what I have. You move like I move. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who feels all in all. So the church, we're his body. We are the hands and the feet. We are the heart, the lungs. We are the body of Christ. What's the next way in which the Bible talks about the church? The church is the bride. Mm. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This mystery is great. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So we hear in the book of Ephesians. When the Apostle Paul is talking, he makes it very clear and very plain. Husband, head of the wife, 
as Christ is head of the church. He himself being the savior of what? The body. He is the savior of the body. He is the man of covenant. He is the redeemer of us all. Now, husbands, love your wives just as what? As Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the church is not just an individual experience that you can have on your own, but you have been grafted into an assembly of believers who God looks down and says, all of you are sharing in the covenant that Jesus has husband with wife. We all share together in the covenant. Do you know that's why there's some levels of healing, some levels of miracles, some levels of visitation that will never happen for you alone. Now, I know you've had some great experiences with God alone. I have too. Trust me. Many of my greatest experiences with God have been by myself in my own house. But understand, there's also been some phenomenal encounters that I have had with God, seen God do, that were mountain moving. Incredible visitations where God came into a building and visited four, five hundred, at times a few thousand, all at the same time. And it left an indelible mark. Why? Because when God visits the body, when God visits the church, he's doing something. God creating a memory for you personally produces ministry in you. But God producing a memory for a body of believers produces momentum for them. We all run suddenly with new speed. We run together. There's a fresh unity. There's a greater hunger. Nobody has to preach us up into another level of faith. We don't have to be convinced to worship this week. Why? Because all of us remember together as we came before him, fire hit the whole room. Glory filled the whole room. All of us had that sense that angels were walking around us. So coming together as the bride of Christ means that when Christ shows up and he gives something, he gives it to his whole bride. So that means we all get it together at the same time. We receive together at the same time. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So part of what we have to apprehend and understand is the reason being part of a church, part of a local assembly is so important. And again, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about a gathering of saints, whether you meet in a park, in a high school, in someone's house. We call it cell church, whether you meet um, outdoors, whether you meet at a campsite, whether you meet um, in a gymnasium. I don't care where you meet, but as long as you're meeting on a regular basis with the same people so you can build the feeling of family, that is church. So the continual gathering together of similar people so that they can have singular purpose, that is church. Why? The mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So the body, the bride, the church are all the same. So when God shows up to release a covenant blessing 
What he gives to you on your own produces memory. What he gives to you together produces momentum. That's why and that's how we take cities. We change nations. We all get there at the same time. We all heard that same word. We all felt that same glory. We all saw that same miracle. And we've got momentum because everything shared together becomes fire to go forward and burn brighter. What else is the church? The church is described as a temple. A temple. A temple. I love that. Uh, the original foundation that's laid by the apostles and prophets, it speaks of this. So let's look at this. I love this verse. First Corinthians three, nine through 11. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So now, what is he saying? Paul is making it clear to us. If you jump down a few verses, you get to verse 16. And it says this, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Now, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. That is what you are. So now let's look at this. Because we are the church, he's writing to the people. He's not just talking individually. So many times when people talk about this and they go, I am the temple of God. Yes, you personally are the temple of God because you carry the presence of God. But he's referring often to how we move together. So now you must begin to understand we are God's fellow workers you are God's field, God's building. A field is not a cup of dirt. It is buckets and buckets and buckets and buckets and pails and pails and pails of dirt. So what does that mean? That's speaking again about the body. Because one person is not a field. Many, many people make up a field. You are God's building. We are a house of living stones. So if you're talking about a building, we understand again, he's talking about the church. People coming together, stones all united, saints coming together so that God may dwell among them to produce a singular purpose. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. So now Paul makes it clear. He says what? According to the grace of God given to me. So Paul says, you are God's building by the grace given me. This is so essential because what he's declaring is the only way you all can come together correctly is because God gave me a blueprint for you. You will one day outgrow me. I will one day go on to be with God. There will be other leaders who come up behind me, but you are my assignment and I am supposed to be like a guy running a construction company. I'm supposed to be looking at all the angles of the house, making sure that all of the pieces are fitting together correctly. Why? So that the weight of what God is about to do inside the house does not 
break the house because the house was built lopsided, incorrectly, out of balance. So Paul says, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. So Paul says, as a master builder, my job in the apostolic and the prophetic was to lay a foundation so solid, so straight, that anything God wants to build in your life for the rest of your life, as long as y'all are together, it can happen. It will last. It will not fall apart. Nothing shall be aborted. Nothing shall die early. Nothing will be destroyed. Why? Not because of your strength, but because I have learned how to build. Now, he then says, but your assignment is to carry his glory. My assignment is to make sure you're balanced. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. So Paul says, I built good foundation. Now, all of you have matured. You're becoming teachers. You're becoming full of the word. Please be careful what you build on what I've built. Because Paul is saying, I know I built sound. I built with doctrine. I built with balance. I built a church that's got an apostolic mind and a prophetic flow and a pastoral heart and an evangelistic fire and a teacher's ear. I built a church that has women and male apostles, built a church that's raising up disciples, built a church that sends money in missions around the world, built a church that's strong in deliverance and powerful in miracles and flows in healing, built a church that understands the natural realm understands the governmental realm and understands the angelic realm. And I built a church where they cast out devils by the power of God. Now that I know you are solid in the word, please be careful what you build on top of what I built. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I say to many of you, the reason that church often has become something that is not being as productive or as powerful as what we see in the New Testament is because after Jesus and then the apostles and then Paul and then the many men and women of God that came after him in every generation, somebody else built a little something on top of what the last generation built. And with every new generation, we add more of our opinion, more of our experiences, more of our fear, our losses, our limitations and our boundaries. And pretty soon, we built with granite the foundation. But then we put concrete on top of it. Then the generation after that uses brick. The generation after that used wood. The generation after that used cardboard. The generation after that used styrofoam. The generation after that used newspaper. And pretty soon we're all happy because we're living in this massive thing that looks like one building, but we haven't paid attention that every new generation used less stable material. And when the wind and the rain and the storms, when politics and sicknesses and new diseases, when new lies and new strategies begin to eat holes in the newspaper and 
the cardboard and the styrofoam. When we begin to see that that which is outside the church now is reigning inside the church, we go, well, look, it's just the day we're living in. No. We spent a hundred years building with less valuable materials, worthless dreams, broken ideologies. We built something that Paul said, be careful how you build. You've built something that cannot hold the glory of God. You've built something that cannot bring deliverance to people. You've built something that will not set captives free. You've built something that whispers success in their ears while they're slowly dying all around you. And we're happy because it's a mile wide and a half a mile tall but we hadn't paid attention that there's holes all in the roof. And now the foundation is cracking. Be careful how you build. For if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. But the temple of God is holy. The writer makes it clear and says, be careful how you build because God owns the church. He made the church as a safe haven for people, as a place of restoration, as a house of escape, as a place to be made new, as a place to be restored. Be careful how you build for whoever destroys the temple. Whatever good your intention, whatever good your idea, however valuable your ideology, however sweet your plan to win the next generation, if you destroy what God has built, God himself will destroy. Ah, whoever destroys the temple, the house of God, what God has died to birth out. Oh, my, my, my friends. Why? Because cities are not saved by a person. They're touched by a church. And most of our churches have lost the ability to have citywide impact because we've let too many strange things weave their way in and among us. And we've lost the glory of the impact of God's power because we held on to lies taught to us that we now know were not factual and were not accurate. We've held on to prejudice and racism that we should have let go a hundred years ago. We've let we've held on to sexism when we should have in the church celebrated the calling of women. We've held on to greed when we should have in the church become philanthropists and blessers of the broken. We've held on to pride when we should have learned to be humble and serve our brothers and sisters. And so without meaning to, without trying to, you know something that I think about, and I'm going to say this as we get ready to finish, it blesses me. I remember I was visiting a friend of mine and they had this magnificent home. It was a beautiful home and very, very expensive. It was a home that had just been put down or had been marked with historical status. And my friend's great grandfather had helped to build the home. I won't say where, cause you would probably know where and what it was, but it had great value, great historical status. 
And uh, they had just done an expose about the house and took pictures of it and had put it into a magazine that was seen all over the country. And everybody thought, this is magnificent. I thought on my first time to stay in the home and they allowed me to spend the night, I was blown away that rulers and leaders have slept here. This place is magnificent. And then two weeks later, my friend called me and said, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, this place that's worth a couple million dollars at that time and a lot more than that now, this place that has historical status, this place that is considered landmark status, this place that the world takes pictures of, this place has got termites. I said, what? We got termites. I said, oh, what you going to do? They said, what do you mean? What are we going to do? We've got to cover the whole place. And they've got to get in here because if they don't now, I said, well, it looked amazing when I was there. And they said, yeah, but the termites had eaten into the foundation. Hmm. If the temple be destroyed. Hmm. So what looked like a magnificent building, what looked like it was functioning well, People going in and out, numbers always gathered, people celebrating it, leaders eating meals within it and discussing the business of changing the world. Now they're scurrying to get rid of these little bitty termites. My friend, so it is with the church. Some of us have not realized that because it is God's house and he loves it so much and it is his people. But over time, in the midst of us, the reason that some people had grown to not love and respect the church like they should, it wasn't the church's fault. The church is a living, breathing organism that God made for himself that we might touch the world. But over time, we brought these little strange doctrines and weird truths and things we couldn't find in Scripture. We excused people for sin and strangeness and wackiness and pride. And we didn't realize that every time we let one of those stupid, silly, foolish, out-of-order, rebellious, destructive things just stay in the house— it started eating its way through the walls. It started eating its way through the house. And now children that should love gathering with the saints don't because every time they went to a church, somebody looked at them and made conversations and insults in their direction because they had tattoos or piercings or a boy who is struggling with who he is comes to the church and he wants to be helped and loved and blessed. And because we're so busy condemning their current sin instead of getting them in the house so we can love them into the presence of God and then preach the word with power so that it becomes transformative. We push them away and another termite eats through the wall. A girl tells us that she's been abused, sexualized, and instead of us helping her and making her family get some help, we go and investigate and we find out that that person may be a person of renown or they've got standing in the church. And so we don't deal with it and we let another 
girl's voice be robbed and stolen and we don't realize that she could have been the next Catherine Kuhlman. She could have been the next Maria Woodworth Edda. She could have been the next Mother Teresa. But we robbed the world of an apostle wrapped up in a female body because we were so busy protecting a termite in the house that we didn't recognize we were killing the next voice for the house. So to some of you listening, I want you to recognize and think about, make sure that the church you're in, the church you represent, the church you're part of, make sure that they are walking in what the Bible says a church should be. And if they're not, then stay in your gym, stay in the club, stay in the place that you love to gather with the people you love, but do not call it a church. It's not a church unless it fulfills the biblical standard. And people will hear this and go, I can't believe he said that. I really don't care what you think about what I say. That's why I come from the word. The word stands. Why? Because we've never just said, that's great. What you're doing is great. And it's affecting people. And I'm thrilled. And I believe you're called to do it. But that's not a church. It's a ministry. Yes. It's a gathering of people. Yes. It's helping people. Yes. It's a motivational ministry. That's fantastic. It's a prophetic club. That's great. It's an apostolic resort. Fantastic. But it's not a church. If it's not bringing life, help, and strength to hurting people by gathering together called out ones who have legal authority from heaven to change the current state of people's lives. If we're not doing that, we're misusing his word and we're wasting time. May the Lord bless each one of you. May the Lord help each one of you. May the Lord cause each pastor or leader who's listening to burn with fresh fire and run with fresh oil to mandate in the place where you gather people a new level of freedom, health, and wholeness. Be not afraid of religious people or of those that would try to manipulate or threaten you with the purse strings or what's going on around you. If they won't let you bring the church inside of that building called church, then remember the church is where his people gather, not in the building that had the name on it. Work with those who are there, but if they won't do it God's way, then go work the works of God where it will produce. Take heart, my friend. They didn't like Jesus. They might not like you. That's okay. <laughs> but go do it his way so you can see his fruit. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Prophetic Edge with Michael Dalton. If this episode has blessed you, please consider sharing it with someone. For more information, ministry dates, and to sow into the ministry, please visit yes-ministries.com. 